Welcome to Heart Yoga Radio. It's February 2021. I'm not sure of the date. It's a Monday morning. I'm taking my constitutional round the hill. It's a glorious day. Sun's out. There's some mist on the high hills there, which looks rather fine with the sun shining on it. And it's been raining for days and very, very grey and cold and windy. And that's kind of kept us off our, our podcasting routes to some extent. Uh, but be assured, we're still working on stuff, we're researching, and of course, uh, I do have projects in the pipeline which I've told you about, and they're still uh, simmering away on the burner. And uh, there's no shortage of material, but it uh, does sometimes take a bit more time than you, than you expected. So, I'm going to do an interesting times t- today. I'm going to pick out uh, a couple of things that I've heard uh, whilst listening to uh, YouTube and so forth and surfing around social media and news media to see what's going on. And I'm going to try and draw out some bigger themes uh, from those uh, current affairs. So, firstly, the case of Matt Hancock being found uh, guilty by the High Court or the government being found guilty by the High Court of breaking rules on the transparency of government contracts and this is with relation to the Department of Health buying PPE, personal protection equipment for uh, healthcare workers who are uh, need protection in the situation of dealing with the the COVID-19 pandemic. And you probably know full well, and you've heard me mention it, I'm sure, on quite a few occasions, that the government's policy with, with respect to healthcare is to, is to contract out uh, many of its activities. Uh, outsourcing this is called and uh, if you go back over our podcast you'll find that I did a fairly in-depth treatment of outsourcing uh, in which I uh, examined the government's documentation and guidance on this matter anyway the High Court finds that the, the, the government should have been transparent about the contracts and it didn't uh, Matt Hancock, in an interview with Andrew Moore, uh, said he'd got nothing to be ashamed of, he'd done nothing wrong. <laughs> and uh, life seems to go on as normal, and there seems to be a certain degree of impunity on the part of the government, uh, which takes the form of, well, it's one law for everybody else and another law for us. After all, we are the government. Now, my source of information on that is that this is pretty well in the public domain. But, but the, the lawyer who drew attention to all this, and in fact who prosecuted the case on behalf of a, a project called the Good Law Project, uh, Jolyn Morn, was interviewed by Owen Jones recently on Owen Jones's YouTube channel. Uh, just very recently, yesterday perhaps, I would think. Uh, 
So jo Joel and Moan was able to bring out a, a good deal of the detail, which has been sort of not that evident in mainstream media and uh, press and broadcasting media. So se secondly, uh, Double Down News uh, recently covered a similar territory and particularly George Monbiot is very much on the case of this uh, government corruption. And he makes the point in a very recent broadcast on Double Down News, which again is on YouTube, that uh, Keir Starmer has been particularly silent about this corruption and really like Labour should be having a field day pointing it out. And that's very interesting. And George Monbiot expresses quite a deal of despair about the actual lack of opposition and the the way in which nobody seems to care that the government's getting away with this stuff. And literally billions and billions and billions of pounds worth of contracts have gone to Tory donors and their friends and some kind of pretty dodgy companies and setups, which haven't done a very good job particularly of providing the correct PPE equipment to the NHS. And basically it has amounted to Many, many billions of pounds of public money being poured down the drain or certainly into the deep, deep pockets of friends of the right-wing oligarchs. And the third thing I want to mention is a remark made by uh, Professor Mark Blythe in the context of a YouTube video, a fairly recent one, certainly within the last week or so, on the subject of the possibility of Scottish independence and what what kind of economic setup would Scotland need if it became un independent. I can't actually remember the name of the channel, I just thought I'd take a look at it. Anyway, the, uh, Mark Blythe's remark had the gist that uh, some years ago, some decades ago, the, the UK government was sort of uh, not very corrupt, as he put it, I think. You know, there wasn't just huge amounts of corruption, there's obviously going to be some, but there weren't huge amounts of corruption with the UK government. But now, the levels of corruption are uh, Southern European, he called it Southern European levels of corruption. Which is why I put in it. And uh, Mark Blythe is an uh, interesting economist. He's, I'd say, a left left pragmatist, not necessarily a Marxist at, in all respects, left pragmatist. And but he's got a very good grasp of detail on finance capital, relationships with government, currency, uh, uh, international um, uh, economics, and, and, and national economies work and all the stuff about deficits and debt and all the rest of it. He's just he's kind of got a detailed, uh, broad straight knowledge of uh, macroeconomics. So he's somebody I trust. I kind of think I relatively trust George Monbiot. Don't agree with everything, but uh, 
he applies reason and he tries to get his facts straight. Uh, similarly, uh, Joel on Morn, uh, <laughs> uh, he's, he, I find him a funny character. I do I follow him on t Twitter. And sometimes he's completely right on, and other times it seems to me he's, he's, he lost the plot, you know. So, <laughs> but he's, he's certainly a very sharp lawyer, and this project, which is one of taking the government to task in the courts, is. Uh, is a good one and it's very well done. And they say they had a, a victory in the case of the Department of Health and Matt Hancock. So what I want to draw out of that is a couple of things. One uh, is that the startling assertion that I'm prone to make that uh, the UK is already a fascist state it's not like incipient fascist or about to come back. It's already fascist in the sense that the, the, the government and capitalism, particularly corporate capitalism, are completely enmeshed. And I made this point in some quite fine detail with respect to Serco and outsourcing. But this hasn't had much airing in the public domain, but here it is. coming out in court and, in, and in, a, in a trial which takes the government to court and in which the government is found wanting. So that's kind of reiterating in a, in a, in a stark and obvious and simple way that this entanglement of, of state and corporate power is already pretty fully well established in the UK polity. The second thing, in the same vein, but uh, slightly distinct, is that the UK is a fascist state in as much as our present government has got authoritarian ambitions. And we see the Secretary of State for Health shrugging his shoulders, not resigning, when he's found to have broken the law, and publicly stating that, he, that he's done nothing wrong. Now we've already seen this tendency in Boris Johnson's uh, premature prorogation in the run-up to the uh, 2019 election. Which uh, it was, found, was found to have been illegal. We also, uh, you'll also recall that uh, Boris Johnson said that he would rather die in a ditch than sign a letter to the EU regarding extensions, blah, 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 blah. Uh, under the imperative of the Ben Act. I mean, you know, but he had, to, he had to obey it. He had to... Uh, but the Ben Act did make this a matter of law. Of course, Johnson does send the letter to the EU, but doesn't sign it. Don't put his signature at the bottom. Now, with, with the matter of the PPE, the government can claim that, it, that, it, that, that, that it has Parliament's consent to make decisions without reference to Parliament, that it can just kind of go ahead and, and do it and award these contracts without the usual rigmarole of committees and scrutiny and so forth, because it's an emergency. And Parliament did indeed uh, grant the government... The, 
emergency powers of that type. But nevertheless, according to the, the court, the High Court, that doesn't absolve the government of its uh, duty to make contracts transparent um, within a certain time period uh, after the contract has been awarded. But there, there are numerous occasions of this, this authoritarianism. And there is, behind that, there is, there is a question about the nature of democracy. Now, I often maintain that the, the UK is not really a proper democracy. It has some kind of democratic theatre which legitimates the, the governmental corporate power. But you have the choice between parties which is scarcely different. When somebody tries something different, they are um, crushed by the billionaire-owned press, uh, as per the case of Jeremy Corbyn's uh, Labour Party. Uh, you have an elected second chamber and an unelected head of state and in an extremely dodgy law-making body known as the uh, Privy Council, which enables things to be passed into law with very little scrutiny or, or, or public knowledge. So a democracy it ain't, but, it's, but it has a little bit. We have local councils and, and so forth, and you can vote for your trade union leader. And you can vote within your political party if you belong to one. We have a little bit, but it's, it's not the full-fledged democracy. But we'd like it to be, I think. Well, I certainly would like it to be. I think we might get somewhere if we did that. Uh, with respect to some of the problems that we face as, uh, as, as a community, but as, as humanity. But suppose we did have a democracy, and the, the executive power of the government had, had that legitimacy of a genuine consent of the public, or at least enough of the public for them to be able to make it work. And if it functioned transparently, so that we could see what they were doing, and that we could take to the streets if we didn't like what they were doing, they were doing something nefarious. Then you'd wonder if it was right for the judiciary to overrule an elected executive, an executive with the legitimacy granted to it through democratic exercise. Uh, bear in mind that the judiciary in the UK is not elected, and it comes from a particular social class for the most part, not entirely, not exclusively, but mostly privately educated males, uh, elderly. So you would wonder at the legitimacy of the Supreme Court or the High Court or any kind of part of the judiciary overruling the, the government. That's an interesting question. Because... Uh, a parliament that was overruled by a, a court could then pass a law making it impossible for the judiciary to overrule the court, maybe on certain issues, maybe on a particular issue. As the lawmaking body, it would be able to do that. So, I'm not saying I know the, the answer to this. I certainly like the idea that impulsive action on the parts of all powerful executives 
is, is something that no country should want. And even, even in emergency, you're going to want some, some scrutiny of executive power and some transparency in the exercise of executive power. These would be great uh, desiderata. At the moment, of course, it's all, it's, it's all a big fudge. There's no democracy. The judiciary is class-biased. But in some ways, you're kind of glad that, that at least something can, can happen to expose and, and bring further into the, the light the corruption at the heart of the British polity. So there's some big, some big questions in the midst of these uh, current affairs, these uh, current examples of discourse around some very interesting events. And I think at the very least it makes us realise how much rethinking needs to be done. And I think it really does. We do need to rethink pretty well. Everything, if we're going to have a, a, a decent... A decent polity and any kind of future. There we have it, further revelation of corruption and authoritarianism at the root of uh, British political life. And on top of this, there's, there's the absence of any opposition and relative media quietness about this. and the unwillingness of Her Majesty's opposition to push back against any of this is it, it, enough to make you feel that there isn't very much hope. I think the pushback is going to have to come back uh, from the streets. This is not to say we turn our backs on the possibility of getting some uh, capture of state power <laughs> going. Not to say one shouldn't, if you're so inclined to be involved in electoral politics, but it is to say without the street, without the unions, without social movements, there isn't going to be any pushback at the, for the time being, at least, against what is a very dangerous situation. Anyway, I hope that was useful in some way. Wash your hands. Take care. Make knowledge great again.